your mission, should you choose to accept it, pop culture fans, is this brand new episode of Quality Check Podcast. Joining us, your agents in the field right now, Daniel Posey, and joining me across the internet is Drew Douglas. You're daring people to listen to us. Yeah, it's basically saying, should you choose to accept this mission, which you should. I mean, I'm never going to be like saying 100%, but I'm saying, (laughs) yeah. We don't, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to say. I could say something completely insane. I was going to say at least this message won't self-destruct in five seconds. So that's good. Keep listening. Your eardrums won't be blown. Well, can't make any promises. Not, not from an explosion, at least. So obviously we're going to talk about maybe the most hyped movie of the summer. Do you think it's this? Oh, man. I mean, leading... Or was it Indiana Jones? I don't know. Like, the more I've done just, like research on Barbenheimer I feel like that's the summer the the summer event this year for 2023 no, the, the summer event is Barbie uh, yeah but the having both of those together that's like the big weekend for movies as far as like movies solo mm. I don't know man I might say Barbie I, I really yeah that might be I do think that's that might be number one yeah like I think for me, Mission Impossible is the number one summer movie of 2023 as far as like being hyped. But as far as like overall, I think Bar- I really do think Barbie's got to take that. Now, prior to this, seeing this in Indiana Jones, I I thought Indiana Jones was like your number one. I was I was really excited for Indiana Jones. And that's a funny thing leading up to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I was more excited for that movie based on the trailers and the hype of like history. And I think it was just because we kept hearing what we heard leading up to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And to, to be fair and honest, Dead Reckoning's trailers never sold me. The And we've talked about that in past podcasts, so go back and listen to what we've said on that. But that's where Indy... I do think was higher for me in terms of anticipation than Dead Reckoning. Two long-running franchises. Um, Obviously, Indiana Jones, the legacy is a little bit deeper, but Mission, this is number seven of a franchise that is, I I guess you could say is gradually. Oh, really? That's hard to believe. 27 years, yeah. Yeah, I remember in 1996 when that came out and I bought the soundtrack to this, uh, you know, the OG Mission Impossible. And I would recreate scenes of the movie, like the train scene. <laughs> or I, I'm sure I've said this before, the um, the fish, you know, the fish bowl, ex- not the fish bowl, but the big fish tank explosion with the gum. Ooh, yeah. Like we always had gum that we would, per- you know, press together. And act like it was going to explode. Like that movie, when I was a kid, and that came out, we were just little Ethan Hunts running around. And to think that it's still going strong, and I'm, you know, three years shy of 40 years old, is kind of incredible. And Tom, is he keeps going. I know that you were super mixed on Indiana Jones. Super mixed. You even at one point said you hated it. So the the fun of, you know, which one of these did you like better has been completely blown up. But I could still answer that, and I'll answer it, I guess, at the end of this podcast. Which one of these did I like better? I mean, that's that for me, especially after uh, it, it's interesting because I was uh, I was talking to someone earlier about anticipation, but more than that is like what you talk about after the fact. Um, so that will be a part of, of my answer and wrapping up, uh, really directly answering that question. But, uh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this movie because you got out of it and you texted me that, um, there's, uh, a few things that were on your mind in terms of, uh, feeling the way that you did, but I still am pretty much in the dark about how you feel. And I've tried to remain pretty, uh, as much as I can not revealing a whole lot about how I feel. But um, as far as like this movie, I know this is a huge franchise to me, just like you. Um, I loved and 
after seeing Dead Reckoning, I actually did my rewatch of all of the movies. So you really did all six? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just like take days off to do that or was that your weekend? No. So what I ended up doing, this was a rare thing for me, but so Sunday, it was a Sunday after seeing Dead Reckoning and I was like, I actually have, I, I could clean and do all the, you know, mundane crap house chores. And I'm like, nah, I'm just going to, for the first time, I'm just going to chill at home. And that's the first time where I was like unbothered. Nothing yeah. was like happening. You're going to live I can, in filth and you're just going to yeah. like watch some movies. Exactly. That's what I did. So I didn't shower for a day and yeah, I no literally... Blame. I bl- I blowed th- I ended up blowing through I, I was blazing through one two three blowing I was like oh my gosh I don't need to hear about your bowel <laughs> movements uh, and I, so I did one one through four and then I did individually um, the Macquarie trilogy uh, which is Rogue Nation Fallout and then I'm not rewatched uh, Dead of Reckoning but yeah so I ended up rewatching and the other thing is I wanted to know how I felt, but especially going into Dead Reckoning, spoilers ahead, go ahead and sound the siren right now, um, because there's one big thing going into Dead Reckoning I did not know, and it's where I feel like more than any other film in this franchise, Dead Reckoning Part 1 resembles more than any of them the very first Mission Impossible film. Ooh. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we get, I feel like, longer dialogue scenes, which I feel like we've received that in the other movies, but I don't think we've received it to this extent since the first film. Uh, The Dutch Angles, there's a playoff of the espionage, uh, there's Kittredge who plays a role in this, a huge role, and we never really got him except for the first time we see him in the very first Mission Impossible and I didn't realize until rewatching that, but he plays a huge role in that movie as well. And of course, it's left where he's been, he's hunting Ethan in that movie as well. Um, so a lot of callbacks and even dialogue, I think is fascinating. Like in that first Mission Impossible movie, he said, Kittredge says something to Ethan and Ethan's like, you won't, Kittredge, you've never seen me angry. There's another part like this and is in the confrontation whenever Ethan literally gasses everyone in the beginning of the yeah. movie in Dead Reckoning. It's like their they're reintroduction together. Yeah, and I love that. And then he says, uh, Kittredge is like, I know you're angry or you're, I know you're upset. And I love the Tom Cruise, like, you know, he cocks his head and clenches his jaw. And it's hilarious because um, that's like a callback to the first film. But that's where I thought you would end up enjoying this movie a lot because of those espionage vibes and the, that throwback in that sense. Yeah, because we, we talked about our ideal, and I think you were on the same page. The ideal one-two punch of part one being more in line with the OG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it did have a vibe of the, of the original. I don't think it... I don't... Mm, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I didn't necessarily feel the throwback of the original. Now, here's a here's a funny thing, because I was feeling that. However, Chris McQuarrie came out, and he said that that was not a direct correlation. Like, that was not a direct nod to the first film, but rather it just fit. And he said they did it because it was fitting for what they were going for in terms of the flow of the movie, the style, and... He said they were basing it more off of, does it fit this narrative? Does it fit the style and what we're going for? So uh, Chris McQuarrie is even shooting down my theories, even though he never uh, heard what I had to say about it. It's interesting, though, that he's bringing it up, though. So someone had to have said that to him in an interview. Otherwise, why is he saying that? Um, And I do feel, here's another interesting thing, and this goes back to the whole Indiana Jones. Cruz has been so connected to this. He started with the franchise where he produced, since the get-go was producing a Mission Impossible, and if I'm not mistaken, that was his very first film to produce, but he picked a franchise and he's like, I'm gonna do this. And he's been so attached to it that I feel like this is what Fast and Furious is to Vin Diesel, this is to Tom Cruise. And for 27 years or longer, uh, just the release of the films, but basically three decades, um, I think he gets where this has gone, the franchise, and so does Chris McQuarrie. 
And for me, that really sets apart. You've got two creatives, and they're really shepherding this into where do we go from here. And I think that really works in terms of keeping those long-term fans on board, but also appealing, I think, trying to expand some of that appeal. So that's why, like, for me, I've appreciated the heck out of what they've done with a series and franchise. And it's like they, you know, are keeping their finger on the pulse of that. So all that to say, to come back to the loves of, did I love Dead Reckoning Part 1? And I'll say 100%, yeah. I do have some flaws with it. Uh, There are some story uh, arcs. uh, I think a few things which I've heard a major complaint is that it is convoluted at times. Um, Mm -hmm. The more I've thought about that, the more... Too convoluted. Yeah, Uh, The more I've thought about that, the more I'm actually at ease with that because with it being an espionage spy movie, I'm okay with that. But there are a lot of times I'm like, wait, hold on. So Kittredge, wait, how how does Kittredge feel? feel? And why is Grace, played by Haley Atwell, confronting him at the end saying, I want in on this, but can she really try... Didn't Tom Cruise basically say that he's going to use her as a pawn and she could die? Like, I don't know. There certain things like that I feel like could have been a little tighter. Um, well, it's kind of wild that they're just the people that IMF is recruiting are just con men and <laughs> like the people that the big agencies don't want to touch. Like we, we've never gotten any of that information before, which is fine. Um, but that's in my mind that's not necessarily what i am maybe that's what you know the og show maybe that was the format of we're taking in people that you know these these agencies don't want a part of because you know for various reasons and that that was that's another thing that i'm like i don't really know if i dig that and i know that's been a little different in the past i don't really see like ethan ever having like a criminal background or history. Um, So I found that to be very strange, but um, I kind of wonder if that's like, are they going to explain a little bit more on that in part two? Is that just like, take it at face value? They for sure have to, because we're going to get more on the character of Gabriel. They have to explore that relationship. Here's another interesting thing. Um, I think there are a lot of parallels to Dial of Destiny. One being... Um, so obviously we get a huge train sequence in this movie. And then two, McQuarrie even addressed that he, and this was just recent, like within the last 24 hours, I believe, McQuarrie thought about de-aging Tom Cruise for the beginning of this movie when we see some of those flashbacks of Gabriel and killing, obviously, someone that Tom Cruise may have been involved with, like, as a relationship or marriage, whatever. And then that was a moment that he was going to de-age Tom Cruise, but he decided not to. And I'm glad they did it. We don't need to see extensively those shots. Yeah, it worked fine how they did it in the shadows. I could see them doing that in part two, though. And they may. I think they're going to have to. They have, they've have. they set up this relationship we know nothing about and this backstory that we've, at least I haven't necessarily ever been interested in. So they're going to have to explain it somewhat there are those moments of i uh, feel like there are a few issues here a few issues there um another thing for stunts for complaints there is i think some of them it's not played for comedy more but there are sometimes i'm like that's kind of interesting they've never done that like whenever he flies through the train at the end to save grace or or her driving and spinning around because she can't get a hold of the car it's it's literally a gag in the middle of an action scene. And I noticed that too of, oh, I don't know if they're trying to lighten these up, but they're already fun. Why are we adding right. these comedic elements to it? Which, I mean, some of that's okay, but then there's some of that too where I'm like, all right, I, I uh, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, that I'm a little torn on, I'm not going to lie. Well, I think you're overstating it when you say that you hated Dial of Destiny. I think you're going to rewatch that at some point. And I told you, this is one of the rare times where I'm like, I don't understand necessarily your Dial of Destiny complaints. But it might be the same situation that we have only reversed because I'm super mixed on this movie. My biggest hang-up, and I want to see if you thought it was 
interesting, and I've read about this, and it is timely, and it is is weirdly creepy timely because of all the AI stuff. But I didn't like the the AI um, as like the big bad in this. Oh man! Like the whole movie revolves around these world powers trying to get this thing called the or the this crucif the this key for something called the entity, and. You know, the key controls the entity, which we don't fully get how yet, which I know we'll explore. But the AI, the faceless AI threat, for some reason, um, it just didn't work for me. Like, I, I reading the synopsis on paper, I think, works better than actually watching it executed on screen. Um I think the the AI thing maybe works better if you have a number two villain that is interesting. And in this case, we have Gabriel, who has this connection to Ethan, which I don't care about. And I didn't find him interesting at all. So that whole thing was a huge dud for me. And going into this movie, I didn't know that it was about AI. So when it took that direction pretty early on, I'm like, oh my gosh, did you like the AI bad guy? Oh, yeah. I want to say, too, that I cannot, for all these Mission Impossibles, outside the first one, I don't even think I could tell you the villain's name, what they're wanting. So it's maybe just an issue I've had with the franchise, only I can at least attach a face to what they're hunting or what's hunting them. And for some reason, I just cannot wrap my mind around this. And that's where, like, if you're looking for, like, kind of that Bond villain and... The other thing is Gabriel is a very weak villain, like very soft. I don't, and that means originally supposed to be Nicholas Holt, by the way, which I think he would have done something more interesting. And it's not a knock necessarily on the actor. He looked cool. His performance is fine, but he was boring. Yeah. And, and I also think like being someone who, like, what's his connection? We will explore that we have to more in part two. What if they're like brothers or something? <laughs> well, and that that could end up being something where we see he was brought back uh, somehow from the dead. I don't know. So I and there's no way that they they can do that. But there's got to be some some way to make him more menacing and why Ethan is like afraid of him and in and, and the way that he is. Did you think at any point in this movie that? I literally thought there was going to be a twist where he's like some sort of sentient robot. Yeah, and that's where I really wonder if this is something like that. I, I'm really curious like if he is like a cyborg or something like that. And here's the reason why I would I would actually be okay with that. And I'm okay with Dead Reckoning or this AI, this entity that we get because this is very much so like Mission Impossible – me, and I've described this movie as Mission Impossible meets Terminator 2 uh, because mm-hmm. this is Skynet going online. And then the third is the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. We, instead of three groups, we've got four groups. And they're all kind of convening. And this is something where with having this Skynet, I think is a perfect match for the Mission Impossible franchise because this is advancing it tech, tech, in a technology way. And even Simon Pegg said that this, he felt like was super fitting. And also considering like with the AI, it comes at a really, really interesting time with all the actor strikes, writer strikes. Yeah. Um, Don't you think it's weird that they wrote this like two or three years ago? Or longer. And it's like coming yeah. into play right now. It always makes me wonder a little bit because... You know, we've grown up with Terminator, T2, like the whole idea of that. And my entire life, I don't know about you, I always thought that was a fun idea, but not realistic. And now we're entering a a time where legit, who knows what could happen. That could literally probably happen at some point down the line. Uh, so is that a natural step in human evolution that this would happen no matter what? Or is it like the art that we're creating that is inspiring us to go in that direction and unknowingly unleash that? That's what I've been thinking of. It's like the chicken or the egg thing. I, like, I think it would happen if, regardless. If, no matter what, yeah. yeah, is the evolution of technology because we've been on that path. 
And even without talking about it, I think it would still happen because that is just what would occur with technology in terms of what do we do to keep one-upping ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why I actually really love this concept and makes me love this movie even more because it is like this very real thing. And this is something that, and it's not just like your actors and writers for movies or TV shows fighting this, even in my own day-to-day. And actually for both of us, what we do our, to our day-to-day, there have been various tools that have been introduced over the last few years for us and it's like just wiping that, jobs out, not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and it's, the whole idea is to make things easier, and we're just making it harder in a lot of different ways. Which is interesting because I do think there's a conversation, and that's where, like, this movie, I think, invokes a lot of that conversation of, well, where does AI belong? Does mm-hmm. it belong? Which, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, and that is a whole nother conversation, but that's where... I'm okay with this faceless entity, but at the mm-hmm. same time, what makes it even scarier, that's something that so many of us are facing. Even if you go to McDonald's, you there are some many drive-throughs that you just order order either through the app or it's the it's the uh, employee like I, list. Yeah. You know, it's weird as we went to a um a Washington Nationals game a couple weeks ago, a month ago. And every time we got food, we didn't interact with a single person. We did it on a screen, and then somebody just brought it to us. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh my! God. There's like two people working out there making food for us, but you have no interaction with anyone. And uh, yeah, it's weird. See, the more we talk about it, the more it makes sense to me, and I like it. Um, I think I was caught off guard because I didn't know the plot of this movie revolved around it. Mm. And, you know, we introduce this key and they're fighting the key and then we explain what it's for. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is it's uh, w- we've taken this into a, a radically different direction, which does it makes sense. But it felt strange for this franchise, though, everything is still realistically grounded i think i mean i know the action's crazy but yeah we are getting to this strange point where this is starting to almost be too real yeah you know and and here's another reason where i'm okay with even though gabriel uh is not the best villain the real villain is the entity the ai the rogue ai that in the very beginning which i thought was like a ploy by the imf yeah to nuke the sub, to like frame it so that there, and there might be something more come of that, but I don't think so. Um, no, I think that was just to show that it was evolving in a way that it was. Did it was it trying to destroy the sub intentionally to so it wouldn't people wouldn't get the key? I can't remember what started this whole thing. Yeah. So what's aboard that would basically cause it to self-destruct or shut it down or something like that so if it literally takes off takes it offline takes off the human element offline i should say of what would control it or puts it in an area where it's unreachable but still online then i think that's a it's a super fascinating idea that i never really thought of but the whole rogue ai reaches a point you know even within recent news stories of like drone attacks that have gone against its uh commander or or, or whatnot and things like that is just uh, like i got my head in my hands just thinking about um what's to come yeah and that's you a know, scary it's a little thing. freaky yeah and i i i yeah it you're kind of winning me over i do think though that this is the first mission that because the villain didn't necessarily work for me that I I was like, the cracks are starting to show in this franchise where we still have all these awesome stunts, but if we're missing that element, then I do start to lose interest. And this also felt too long. This is two hours, 45 minutes. I I will say yes, that that did, to me, I feel like they could have tightened it about 20 minutes and that would have been... The the first hour and a half, I think, went by quick. Yeah. And then... I don't think there was a moment where I'm like speeded along, but in my head I'm going, 
we haven't seen the cliff stunt yet, and I know there's a big train scene. Mm. I'm like, let's just get to these scenes. What are we doing? And the thing with the AI, too, not to keep harping on this, is it's so intelligent that it eliminates basically two characters in this movie, which is Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg, because they can't do much because they're so tech-based. And I kind of was like, man, this thing almost feels too powerful, but that is the idea of you can't let this into the wrong hands. Um, well, here, here, I know. Uh, I'll, I'll say one more thing. I know I'm very mixed on this movie. I think this will all, always be kind of low tier mission for me, but I do think knowing what it is, rewatchability is going to help this one a lot. So, speaking about you brought up to um, the like it taking longer, I do think the places where I saw that being an issue was some of the conversation like the espionage conversations and chats. I'm like, yeah, they could have tightened that a little bit, cut out some of those parts. Um, Cause like you mentioned, there's so many moving parts to this that one becomes the motivations of everyone becomes convoluted. Uh, you know, it ended and I'm like having Google, like what did everybody want? Yeah. <laughs> what does the key do? Which we don't really know. And then it's kind of explaining the entity a little bit more. Because they do explain who created it and why. And and so here there are two 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 final things too as well uh, to note. Um, Issa Morales, who plays Gabriel, is uh, you know as an actor I've seen him before, and as this went on, I'm like I don't really know if I like him, but just like anytime you have good cop bad cop, or you've got the straight man funny man, you kind of need a balance where if you've got two like overly menacing characters or villains one kind of overshadows the other and i get that they probably did that to make him a little more bland in this one so that he comes up more so in part two and the focus is on the entity and the ai in this one which i'm totally okay with i i can be more forgiving in that regard um because of that reason and the other thing you had mentioned too with like speeding it along, I didn't notice the cracks in the foundation because I still think that it's a very strong franchise and what they have to offer, there's a lot. Like this, to me, I'm like, oh wow, like this only makes sense that they're going in this direction. But I did think I'm grateful that Cruz and Ving, they or Ving uh, and Macquarie, they've talked about <laughs> cutting down on certain scenes. One was with Ving, one was with Rebecca and crew, mm -hmm. Rebecca Ferguson and Cruz. Um, and cutting down on some of those scenes where they took out chunks because they're like, yeah, it just doesn't fit. And I'm like, that I love that they're willing to say, we need to keep moving, but they needed to keep that moving along a little bit faster. And then um, even though it didn't, to me, it didn't feel long. It was, uh, it, it was just, I do agree that the pace could have been a little bit tighter and that would have made it pretty solid for me. Um, but, but that always improves on the second watch usually. Yeah. So I'm, I'm expecting to watch this again and it's, it's more enjoyable. I hope so because this is, I will say when I got out of it, I felt the same things you felt a little mixed. And the more I thought about it, it was the reverse of indie where I, with Day Reckoning, I'm like, okay, well, actually, I can, I can kind of justify that, but I still have some issues here. I can kind of overlook that, like with Gabriel. I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, so that, that the AI makes up for a little bit of that and whatnot. Oh, and then you mentioned uh, Ving and Benji, or, or I should yeah. say uh, with Ving and, and Simon Peck. Those two characters, I think it's interesting, though, to have them facing this entity because that's their ultimate fear. And we've never really seen Ving Rhames' character face an ultimate fear. He just, like, pieces out. He's like, I don't even, I can't <laughs> yeah. do anything. I'm like, did he have to go shoot Arby's commercials? Because, like, he's not <laughs> in this at all. And I think that's what it was, was a scheduling thing. Yeah. And it's also during COVID. They shot, this was one of the movies continuing during COVID when they were still very much so in lockdown. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that shows too, and we'll talk about the action scenes. Uh, I This is one of the first missions where these big, especially the train scene, there are moments where I'm like, man, the green screen is very noticeable. Mm. And, and I feel like 
we haven't really had that with these because they're always pretty natural looking. Yeah. Now let's do some loves hates. Um, you and I have said this for a little bit now, several movies at least, is they, they seem to shy away from killing off a main character, and they actually do in this one because Ilsa dies, mm. who Rebecca Ferguson is a very lovely woman. She's awesome in these movies. Um I loves hates on killing her off. She's such a great oh, character, man. and I feel like they did it only to kind of replace her with just another female character, which is yeah. Haley Atwell's character. Did you like that decision to replace her with that character? No, but to because up- that's kind of what it feels like, right? It does, it does, and that I'm like, oh man. And here's the thing, Ilsa, I love, love not just Ilsa but Rebecca Ferguson, and I've said this when she played Rosa Hat. And Dr. Sleep, I'll say it about Ilsa. If she, if I were to see in her hallway and she's wearing like that opera dress from Rogue Nation and she like, she started to like run at me and she's going to kill me, I would literally lie down and I'm like, just kill me. Would if you, you, would you if, let her do that thing where she like jumps on your shoulders and wraps her legs around your 100%. neck? It, if those were my <laughs> final seconds on earth, 100%. She does that too much. She does that. <laughs> Like four times. And she did it in this movie. I'm like, good God, that's like your number one thing. Yeah. That's her Rose go-to. Bat, would you rather have her do that or she's um, her character in Dr. Sleep Rose the Hat and she just like sucks your soul I out? I think I would go with Rose the Hat because at least then she would put her Ooh. mouth on mine and she's like sucking my soul out that way. So. Well, not ne- not necessarily. She just, just like kind of blows. Oh, you know, yeah, sucks, that's true. I don't know. That's a good point because <laughs> there's like face to face on one and then I don't know. Yeah, she's a delight. I always said that the first time I ever saw her, I want to say was Rogue Nation. And uh, she just had this old, classic Hollywood look to her. Oh, yeah. I mean, seriously, like, there's not a lot of actresses that look like her. Yeah, she's, yeah. I guess, so If let's say we love the idea of killing off a main character, but if you could have a do-over, and it's, it's between Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, and Ilsa, who would you still kill her off, or would you choose someone else? I'd go with someone else. Mm, who would it be? I'd keep Ving. Ving's been the one consistent character, uh, and it's so, that the, the Benji, nostalgia bait. Yeah, Benji, man, if they killed him off, that would have been a almost yeah. a bigger death to me than Ilsa. And that's like, I, because I love, here's the thing, I love Benji. I love all these characters, but I'm like, at the same time, it is like if you do kill off Ving, then it is a are you starting to like reach a point where, you know, age is starting to show. But it has nothing to do with that because he's still like the techiest guy on the team. But yeah, he's the smartest man, guy, man. The Benji, Benji adds such a level of uh, of levity to yeah. everything that losing that would suck. And I kind of wish they would have done it. Which, which, by the way, it's seen going back, and he started in MI3. There's always some moment in these movies where he plays it off, and he does this in this movie too. But he was like, basically says that Ethan, he's like, oh yeah, he's got this. It's like, mm-hmm. not a big deal. Like, oh yeah, his life is at risk, no big deal. But what about me? Like, that's what we're concerned about. And it's always hilarious to me. He doesn't care about Ethan's life. He's like, yeah, he'll make it. But I don't know if I'll make this. <laughs> yeah, and I always find some fun way to get him involved. Yeah. So speaking of new characters, we mentioned her. Haley Atwell joins the cast, and this is Grace. She's a, um, what you call her, a burglar, I guess? Yeah. That, con uh, a con artist that eventually teams up with Ethan. And I kind of was expecting them to go down a romantic avenue, which they don't usually do. You know, he has been married before. So I kind of wondered if they were going to kiss at some point, and they don't. But loves hates for her because I thought she was delightful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... And it's interesting because I'm curious to see what you have to say about this after I go on my whole hour-long gush session of Haley Atwell. Uh, I love her. I think she's great, not only with um, what she brings to the table here in terms of her chemistry with the rest of the cast and crews uh 
But she just is so, as you said, delightful. And there's also a little bit of, not as much as Rebecca Ferguson, but I do get the sense of she brings almost like this old school gravitas in a sense, like this old school look. But, um, but man, yeah, I just, considering that we have a movie with, uh, basically, they should call this Mission Impossible, um, just like break my heart because there's uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby, and oh, Haley gosh, Atwell. Yeah. All three. Let's go. It's like a babe every just, every direction you turned. But yeah, Haley Haley is just she's she's amazing in this. Um, and this is something that I also like that they're pulling in a civilian like this um, in the way that they have. Um, we haven't seen that before, but I'm cool. Do you like them taking it in a direction where she can just potentially join IMF? I, I, I like the idea of that they are that they're like, hey, you could help us. Um I all of that played out really well for me because it's like when Simon Pegg's character Benji's like, Well, what family do you have? What other life do you have outside yeah. of this? Like we all chose this. Yeah. And that's to me, I think, interesting because it is like it kind of another thing that tethers them all together and makes the stakes even higher, not just for this, but for all missions, because, you know, I think for Haley's character, I'm okay if she joins the team, but um, I was also okay, like, if she doesn't, she's used, like, a one-off and this is it. I'm okay with it. But I do think, here's the other thing, going back to Ilsa, played by Rebecca Ferguson, the fact that her death is truly at the hands of Grace, played by Haley Atwell, and it is, like, really making her uncomfortable and just, like, changing her. I think that's really interesting, something interesting to explore where this is not your life. You've not lived this espionage spy life. You're brought into this, and then you are responsible for someone's death. And even though she didn't kill her, she was basically, like, stuck in this unwinnable situation and um and it did lead to elsa's end which sucks but i'm definitely down for seeing more grace that's for sure so two strong loves for her now we kind of already went into him but esau morales is gabriel that's a mm. that's a haze for me i see that's another one where i'm a little torn on because I think he's very bland and Ugh. there's nothing. And I'm not even asking for like Jason Momoa and oh. Fast X. <laughs> put a little personality into him. Unless the idea is that he is almost robotic in nature because everything he knows, he's like 10 steps ahead of everything because of the entity. Yeah, and that's kind of how I felt as well. I feel like I can truly answer the loves, hates for him in part two or at the end of that. Yeah, uh, that's true. We're only going by half of a whole and 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 i i hate to even say because that feels like such a cop-out but if i'm basing it solely off of this i'm saying hates but since it is a part one of part two of two parts i'm like yeah but maybe maybe to see the whole picture maybe he comes more into full circle in part two so that's why i'm saying i'm split i'm very much so like love or in the middle and also yeah what's what's in between loves and hates it's it's just mid where i guess you're mid yeah. i hate that though i hate that term because I, I see it and i'm like where did this come from yeah i do too i i don't mid. like it either but that's like the best way i feel like since it's literally middle of the road well, it, it is me becoming an old man and just being like what is this terminology i don't get it uh we need to come up with something in between but for now we'll just use the term mid yeah um, and maybe it's maybe it's uh, just Isa. It's just Isa, uh, or it's like middle <laughs> of the road. But the um, I will say too, Isa. <laughs> but with uh, with this too, with him being robotic, I'm like that kind of also plays into this whole AI notion, and that's his overlord. It makes sense, but eek. um, I I guess the other main new addition. I know we have some like new police officers or whatever our uh, agents tracking Ethan, but Palm Clement uh, Clementiev, Clement, mm -hmm. who plays Paris, and she's like this assassin that works for Gabriel. 
she's the more entertaining villain of this whole thing. Oh yeah. And by the end of it, she's she's doing flippies. She's on the good guys squad, I guess. Uh, which, before she dies. <laughs> Does she officially die, though? I literally can't remember. Not technically, no, because uh, the... She's still alive. She's getting help, right? Yeah. and She'll survive. I bet she will. I don't... I kind of wish that she didn't, because that would be cool. It's like a one-off character where we end up getting um, this, not only a good guy and a bad guy dying, but this is where it kind of makes the stakes seem even higher in that regard you know um I mean, but she's it, fun because she's just clearly enjoying the destruction that she's causing she's like the harley quinn of this movie to be honest she just keeps her yap shut though true which i like she like i don't know she really speaks until the end and i like Does she that. speak at all uh, a little bit, but it's mainly just like speak because she's French and her name is Paris. <laughs> and, yes. and so Palm is tech. Uh, she is also French as well, but um, she doesn't say a whole lot. And I kind of like that. It is more menacing, but she's just eating the chewing the scenery. And I dig it um, she's, in a good way, though. She's not like hamming it up too crazy. No. She's just seems to really enjoy going after Ethan, which, by the way, there are two funny stories about this one. Uh, apparently Tom renamed her on the set to Tom, or I'm sorry, Palm Cruise, not Tom Cruise, but Palm Cruise. Because she was like doing all these action scenes and trying to do her own stunts, you know? So much that whenever they're in that alleyway and fighting, she kept getting mad at Tom Cruise. She's like, punch me, punch me. He's like, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, hit me. And he's like, I refuse to do that. (laughs) That's against my uh, Scientology rules. I cannot do that. He's like, I'm a gentleman. And she was like, it made me... Apparently, they did like some sparring, but she's like, yeah, I just, you know, I I just wanted him to hit me. But, yeah, no. Uh, Fun fun notes about... uh, Palm Clementia throwing down in this. Did you like her more as Paris in this movie or more as Mantis? God, it's so radically different. Probably Mantis. There's something cute about Mantis that I really enjoy. Yeah. She does a great job with both, but I, I like, I really dig Mantis. It's weirdly, um, or it was a little strange to see her knowing that James Gunn didn't do this because I, for whatever reason, just associate those two together. So much. Um, I mean, it's fun to see her outside of, you know, a Marvel property, but uh, I just always think of James Gunn when I see her. Yeah. Now, we do have one. We, we mentioned this familiar face. Henry uh, Zerny is back as Kittredge, mm-hmm. who is such a little toad in uh, the original one and this one in the best possible way. Man, he does that's, such a great job, though, is that. That's, that's a guy eating, chewing the scenery up. And I loved seeing him again. Yeah. Him and Tom Cruise, the banter, that was that was awesome. Now, action sequences, what do you have as your favorite? I think, I, th- I believe, so we have the, the Arabian Desert shootout, which is basically yeah. the beginning. We see Ethan on a horse, which I thought was pretty dope. That is. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, the Abu Dhabi airport escape, uh, Ethan driving one-handed in Rome, which was great. The cliff jump, which we have been getting teased with for what seems like two years now. <laughs> and then the train escape with Ethan and Grace, which watch again, I'm like, this is a a just vamped up um train scene. It just felt like Macquarie and Cruz had sat down and watched Spielberg's The Lost World. Because there's a scene very similar to this and that, only they were like, how can we do this better? And it's like involving train cars just continually falling and you're having to navigate (laughs) a new section every time, which goes along with, I found that whole thing hilarious and and entertaining and obviously an action way. But it was like a new setting every single time, which I thought was quite funny. And then you have to navigate new elements to it. Uh, if I'm missing one, you can pick it. Well, what was your favorite action scene? Uh, the last one you mentioned is just like the train sequence. It's just the so, train thing. Yeah, yeah, it just like you said, for it's like a so, cartoon. It is, and but like it was funny in a good way. I don't mean that negatively. Like it right. was 
how can we turn a cartoon into a real thing? And and the thing is, like with that, McCoy, before seeing this, he said he described it as a train wreck in slow motion. And while it was happening, I literally giggled like a kid. I, I think mm. I think there was like an audible response that came from me while oh, watching I did too. that. And I did once we went to different train cars, and I go, I get it now. Everything is going to be completely new. Yeah. And uh, the the uh, the food one was funny because you're navigating like fire oil splashing all over the yeah. place, and then we get to like the nice train car, and yeah, the whole thing was a lot of fun. And 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 on top of that too, what was funny is that Macquarie a couple of things because they actually crashed. They literally built a train and destroyed it just for this. Um, they drove the very beginning, which I call the Back to the Future Part Three, where they just literally drive the engine off the cliff. Um, that was real. They attached cameras to it. Um, and so that was really fun to see. And then also he said while they were doing this with building the sets, there were uh, moments like the grease. You mentioned the grease and the food and all that. That actually was a huge variable that they did not plan for until it happened. And then they're like, let's do more of that, like work that in because they were like slipping all over the place. And like, that's what would happen if there was the kitchen cart and it was literally falling off a cliff and it's shaking things all over the place. So I found that to be really interesting. But then it never got old to me. Like that was, it seemed to go I on. I could have kept going for every single train car. Yeah. And, it, and I'm like, this is amazing. This is like one movie and it's dedicated to this. And apparently one of the editors on the film said, there is like an hour and a half cut of that. And McCory said, we need to make this as tight as humanly possible. And they cut mm. that down last year uh, and they just kept whittling and whittling away on that sequence. Um, and I think it's it goes on forever, but it feels tight. It feels refreshing. It feels funny. And it also is another thing where I felt like I was on the edge of my seat during that. Like I was literally like getting up, like kind of starting to stand up. And that was more than anything. Um, that was good. And also the the Rome. I love the Rome uh, sequence. Yeah, I almost want to do the one handed car chase. It's my favorite. Because did you find that's um, the cliff jump? Yeah, and it's the idea of every one of these movies has some insane chase, but what wrinkle can we add to it? And I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast. I think Haley Atwell came up with a handcuffed driving yeah. bit, mm -hmm. which is, it's great. It's it's another way to literally handcuff Ethan. How how can you escape this? I thought that was fun. The cliff jump, which I mentioned, we've been getting teased for a heck of a long time. Did it live up to the hype? Ye or d I almost wish I hadn't seen anything going into this movie. Yeah. Because that would have been, I feel like we saw everything, you know, when they did the IMAX exclusive in front of Avatar or whatever it was, I feel like we got that whole scene, and I was like, eh, I mean, it was cool. I, I feel I feel the same way, but I love the behind the scenes to know like how dangerous all of that is because going into like if you just see it, it's like oh cool, but like the fact that knowing all of the elements to that and what makes it so dangerous and what they call it, it like. Macquarie and Cruz saying it's the most dangerous scene, action stunt in the entire franchise. And then finding out why, because you've got two elements. You've got the motorcycle and then you've got the base jump as in like the parachuting from that. So those two elements are separate, but merging those together, I really liked, but here's what made it better. And this is why I'm like seeing this movie with as many people as possible made this sequence better in the theater because I knew it was coming and I think on rewatch I'll like it more like when I'm at home watching because I've noticed doing all these rewatches some of these stunts I'm literally I will stand up like the plane <laughs> sequence in the beginning of Ghost or Rogue Nation I literally stood up I'm like I know he survives but like this is intense but did, this one did you during see, the theater react oh sorry wild reaction yeah this is this was part of the theater experience so um, you know, in Dead Reckoning, when he's taking the motorcycle and he's jumping off the cliff and it's building, 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 there's a lady to my right. And then 
another to my left. And the one to my left was like pretty quiet. The one to my right was like laughing, like she was getting into it. Like when Tom Cruise started running, she clapped her hands and she's like, yes. And it was just fun. But then when he jumps and the audio cuts off and yeah. it just goes silent. I love that. There's a, I do too. That I loved and it caught me off guard. But then there's a, it was dead silent in the theater. And then when the audio cuts off, there's a lady in the very back, the only voice you hear, and you just hear, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was just made me laugh because she was like, I wanted to know, like, did she know this she was going to happen? Know. Yeah, maybe she didn't know. And then, and that's what made it great but what made it even better was when they cut the audio back and you've got the wind blowing in his face that sound that urgent sound made the lady next to me and i'm not exaggerating she jumped out of her seat she jumped out of her seat and she like grabbed the table and then she sat down she's like that caught me off guard goodness <laughs> um it was just like that entire thing was better because of those two things. Did you see the video of it was the cast watching Tom do that and they're filming each other and it was like every major character, not even in the scene, but they wanted to go and watch it. And he, you know, shoots off the ramp and goes over and they're all flipping out. And Simon Pegg says something along the lines of like, he does this to us every day. Like, we don't know if he's going to survive this. <laughs> and their reactions are uh, hilarious. And they're just, it's just funny to see them. They're like, this is this guy's. Imagine watching that. Imagine me preparing for that and watching it. You'd be like, I, who knows what's going to happen? This is insanity. And he uh, continues to survive. I haven't seen that, but I have to find that. I have to watch that. There's a lot of crazy um, hooting and hollering and cursing. <laughs> and just like this, like he's he's affecting our mental health because we honestly don't know. And like we've seen that with the McQuarrie thing where he like once the parachute goes up or whatever he has and you know that he's probably going to survive, like he breathes this yeah. massive sigh of relief of, OK, Tom's OK. He survived this uh, this take. <laughs> so. Let's rank the Mission Impossible franchise, Ooh. and we can start with numero seven. Oof. What are you landing there? Because I'm sure I have Mission Impossible 2. I'm guessing you probably do too. Yeah. Um, and I want to say also for ranking all of these movies, they go from good. Like yeah. there's, there's not one there's bad not Mission one Impossible. There's not one that we don't like. Yeah. These are these are it goes from good, and I'm talking about like I would almost give it a B to B plus. Like it's almost that good, and then up you go up. So it goes from good to like excellent. But yeah, Mission Impossible two. I could argue that my seven and number six could flip flop. I could say Mission Impossible two is a little better than Mission Impossible three depending on my mood, but I'm going to put MI3 at number six. I'm going to do the same. Um, there And re-watching these movies, it's funny I had that with you making that because you mentioned that, have mentioned that before. And it's weird because, like, you know, Mission Impossible 2 came out in 2000, and it's got this uh, chemically engineered virus. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Talk about being ahead. Like, this feels like 20 years ahead and it's just so scary to rewatch that movie now. Yeah. Um, and I like MI3. There is a seriousness to it. You could tell they felt like they needed to maybe course correct after Mission Impossible 2. Because that yeah. one got just completely demolished critically. It made a lot of money, though. But it was such a departure from yeah. MI1 that I actually think, actually, in hindsight, MI3 almost feels like the outlier. Like, it's very serious, but I think serious in a way that it's almost not fun for a good portion of the movie, if not the entire thing. There's also an interesting take on this where we get more of Ethan's backstory. Mm -hmm. And I do find that to be very... Which I like. Yeah, I do find that to be very endearing because it's... 
what is and a, that starts paying off in fallout too right yeah big time when his marriage is just ended and then we know that really it didn't end for any bad reason like he still very much cares for this person but because of his life he just cannot handle a relationship yeah and that's wh- so that's where it sets that's, the stage that's good now number five this might be controversial but right now, I'm going to put Dead Reckoning. Oh! <laughs> hi Man. Um, I don't know if that's going to climb much higher. i got to be honest with you. And this could just be something that, in hindsight of rewatching and then getting part two, maybe this does climb. But these last four that we have to rank are great. Yeah great movies yeah this is this is where we get into that great uh part and honestly for me the fifth one this this is this is really tough for me because originally i flipped my four my five after the rewatch and it number five is the fifth one mission impossible rogue nation um this is the start of the macquarie cruise collaboration to macquarie directing because macquarie joined for script rewrites and helping on Ghost Protocol, but it wasn't until Rogue Nation when he took over, and that's when he started writing and directing. Um, there's a lot I love about Rogue Nation, and I also love a lot of the dynamics that were set up in Ghost Protocol that's in Rogue Nation, and the stunts, as I mentioned, the being on the side of the airplane. It opens the movie. I always forget that, but it opens the movie. Mm-hmm. Um and that's such an just a wild way to begin on with Cruz hanging on to the side of an A400 aircraft. Um, we start with to... With gr- great banter with Benji, too. Oh, my god! Like this is when... Well, it's in 4, too, but 5. A lot of good Benji stuff. A lot... Of, yeah, this is, this is definitely when we reach that moment of where Macquarie and Cruz will work on a script together and that Macquarie has a more loose approach uh, in terms of dialogue and how scenes are set up and structured. And it could be bad if you don't have a base, but I think that it really starts to show where the script is like a living, breathing thing and it's more flexible. And I think this is the moment where we start to see if there are certain things go wrong that it's not just played up for laughs. Sometimes it's for tension or for other things as well. And I think this is where we start to get this modern MI approach even more so concretely. But man, it's, I just, there's a lot to love about this, but um, I think there's even more to love in the fourth one and what I have to say. So numero four, I'm putting Rogue Nation. Okay. Which for the longest time I would have said is probably my favorite, but... You got three heavy hitters in the top three. Oh, yeah. And that's so that's where I have to put Ghost Protocol. And as I said, I originally flipped Rogue Nation and Ghost. But Ghost, um, I love. But this is, you mentioned Benji. We get some great Benji stuff in Ghost Protocol. One being, this is supposed to be the movie where Jeremy Renner's character, Brant, William Brant, is supposed to take over. Was like Paramount was positioning him to take over this franchise from Tom Cruise. And this is such an interest. It weaves in so many different elements from Brad Bird's director, like his directing style to some of the characters, more specifically Benji and a lot of the comedic moments, like when they're in the Kremlin and we get Benji's giant face going into the monitor and it projects in the hallway, stuff like that, where we're starting to see him out as a field agent for the first time and there's a little bit of time that were removed um, from seeing crews with the rest of the crew. And there's a different crew. We get Paula Patton, who's Ooh. awesome in this. She does a great oh, job boy. as Agent Carter. Um, and I love that in terms of like the dynamic with those characters and some of the villains as well. But in addition, I, I would say the one thing that solidifies me here is the just wildly absurd idea this was like when Cruz everyone's like is this guy okay and it's when 
he decided to scale the Burj Khalifa skyscraper. And he does that with suction cups. And I love the banter with Benji whenever he gets ready to jump. And it's this whole intense scene. And he looks over and then William Brandt or Jeremy Renner's like, your line's too short. And Cruz looks at him without missing and a beat. he goes, no. Yeah, it just makes me laugh every time. So what is your number four? Uh, that's my number four. Ghost Protocol. Okay. Well, that's my number three. And I love that one because it is like Brad Bird who was doing animation. He basically makes a live action cartoon in so many different yeah. ways. So what's your number three? My number three, I got to go with Dead Reckoning. Good grief. Oh, I just, I love it. It's a perfect merge of uh, my top two plus Terminator. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, well, my number two is Mission Impossible, the OG. Me too. Love that one so much. So good. So that means number one for both of us is Fallout. Man, this is the Mount Everest of Mission Impossible. So good. Great villain. Henry Cavill is off the charts. I wish, and, and I guess in hindsight, you can't, if they're going in, the, in this direction, he maybe wouldn't be involved. But I was always a little bummed out that they killed him in Fallout. Yeah, I that was something where with them killing him, I was okay because it does make it seem like not everyone can escape. That's why I was okay with it. And they, yeah, and they don't usually escape. This is the first time I think we're having villains in back-to-back -back movies, but that's just because it's part that's one. Of right. Well, and we do get uh, the guy who's in charge of the syndicate, and he's back, Sean Harris's character. Oh, that's true, he, yeah. But he's so, he's limited to what he does in yeah. Fallout. He's back, but he's not, he's not up to his old hijinks. Right. <laughs> so best stunts, we mentioned some of these, and this is just of the franchise, and I want you to pick um, what you think, it, what comes to mind when it's like the, your favorite stunt or action scene. We have the motorcycle, I have the motorcycle chase in Rogue Nation after he nearly drowns because he's just like completely out of it, and then it's shot so well. Uh, helicopter chase and fallout is amazing. You mentioned the skyscraper in Dubai and Ghost Protocol. That one's hilarious. And it really just knowing how high he is and that they did it, it'll raise your anxiety. Uh, this is an OG, the Langley Heist and Mission Impossible. It's not wild and crazy, but man, think of Mission Impossible and him dangling. Like that is iconic. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun, funny, and intense, both, all three. We have the underwater stunt in Rogue Nation, which is before the big motorcycle chase. That one's cool, I think, because Tom learned to hold his breath for like six minutes, which is insane yeah. and just shows you his dedication to these movies. And then the motorcycle cliff jump in Dead Reckoning has got to be a top tier, even though it, it really goes by pretty quick. Once, this, once he goes over the cliff, the whole thing is basically done, but... That's a wild one. I think the thing that yeah. comes to mind first is the motorcycle chase in Rogue Nation. From the point that he's revived to the point that he gets on in the car and they it flips and then he gets on the motorcycle and he's chasing after Ilsa. I, that's like top tier for me. And then you maybe could argue the helicopter chase uh, in Fallout is very close behind. Oh yeah, and that I yeah that that's that is incredible, especially considering that he climbs up, falls down, falls down, which I don't even think was intentional, right? I think that was accidental. Yeah, and and I mean the dude does that only to climb back up, pilot a helicopter, and then fly it in this low terrain, and I mean. It's nuts. Oh, man. Yeah, they're doing stuff that is, um, I want to say he was just like, yeah, we're not, you obviously have to learn all the piloting and stuff, but they're like, we're doing things that you really right. should be doing. Like, in terms of elevation, how low they were. I also think Fallout has maybe the best running, and that's a staple oh, of yeah. Tom Cruise just across the board. But I think about him jumping from building to building and, you know, how mm -hmm. he broke his 
leg or whatever it was, keeping that take in there is and amazing. He keeps running, but and he keeps going. And they said he said something crazy too, like he broke it in a way that was uh, unusual or something. They're like, yeah, we don't usually see it broken this way, but the dude climbs up and keeps going uh, for the shot. So that one's Fallout is just so good. It's I. I, I would argue it my it goes in to not just my top MI, but probably in my top action movies of all time. Like it's that good. It's it's incredible. Of the last like 20 years, it's one of my favorite action movies. And then we're also introduced to Vanessa Kirby, who Ooh. I've always thought was fine, but this one I'm like, gosh, she is actually really cool. And as you mentioned, and there's rumors. She might be a good Sue Storm in um, Fantastic Four. Would love it. Should they brought I, they always bring these things up, and during an interview, they mentioned that to her, and she didn't shut it down, which I think is interesting. Usually, they're like, "I don't know what you're talking about," or "No, I haven't heard anything." She didn't shut it down at all. So, I would be okay with that. Bring bring her on. I want to see her as Sue. Bring it on, baby. All right. Well, this. Uh, I'm glad that we you you really liked it. It's growing on me just talking about it. Uh, everyone I've talked to really loved this movie, so that's fun. As for what we're going to do next, we do have an episode in the can. And um, I don't know, we might have, we might be MIA for a couple weeks until the August pop, pops, pop picks comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to you want to say why or not? not well, really? I mean, I think if you listen to us, you know that I have a child due at any moment. <laughs> literally. We didn't even know. We literally didn't even know if we were going to do this right now because of what's been going on. But we were able to cram this in. And um, so if you don't hear from us in a couple weeks, that's why. But we do have something coming out in August. We will have more contests for Regal gift cards. We already have a winner for the Ooh. first one being sent out. So that was fun. And then, um, man, I had hopes to see Oppenheimer and Barbie in a couple of days. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that's going to have to, uh, I might be able to maybe sneak away, but it's like, I don't know. I've, I've never had a kid. I don't know what to expect. What's the delay of control or of, like the delay of delivery or contractions or whatever, where it's like, isn't there like a purposeful delay of birth? Well, I'm just like, I'm just like sucker back in until we get <laughs> yeah. to crank these out. The thing she was like, initially, you know, before all this stuff has been going on, she was like, let's, you know, see something Thursday and we'll go Friday. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to work all day and see a three hour Oppenheimer on a Friday night. Like that is the most unappealing thing to me. So I don't know when, I mean, this is all stupid complaints, but I'll see these when I see it and you'll hear us when you hear us. If you want, I'll go in the middle of a work day to see Oppenheimer and then I'll FaceTime you and I'll just put my phone up there and then you can <laughs> see. <laughs> what would Chris Nolan do if that's how people watched Oppenheimer? He would flip. <laughs> he would flip out. Well, mm. I, I will say um, good luck, best of luck. Um, with Yeah, pr- the- pray for me, baby. I will. I will. I know even like leading up to this, I was, I, I was because I'm like, man, hopefully, um, you know, especially, you know, safe, speedy delivery, especially speedy, because that's something that, um, you know. Yeah, let's not drag this out. Yeah. In an and, ideal world, it'll be nice and smooth. And then just getting the text today that, oh, you know, stuff's happening. Um, it puts you into like, I don't even know, because I was anxious, but now I'm like, I'm ready. Let's go do it. So we are we're, we are ready to go. Well, hey, uh, best of luck, and I'm ready. So for all of you listening, send all of those great thoughts, good vibes to Drew. And uh, until next time, keep watching.